You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. We have lit the candle of proclamation because we have a message that has to be proclaimed. It has to go out. It has to be told and it has to be lived. And here you are today. It is so great to have you here. If I could come out there and hug each one of you, I would. I promise. But it's so great to see you here. We hope that you come back and and gathering together is so important and we've missed it and we're grateful to be able to to do this together for sure. So, um, so many things to talk about, and as we prepare to dive into God's Word, um, I do want to introduce you to the newest member of our church family and of our um, staff team. He's kind of lurking there in the back. His name is Jacob Adler. Who is that masked man? Would you stand up, Jacob? This is Jacob Adler. He is our new producer. He joined our team on Monday. He's from Southern California, but we won't hold that against him. We will assimilate him into Northwest culture very shortly. He's actually very much one of us, and it's one of the many reasons why we're very excited that he is joining our team, and I'll get to tell you a little bit more of his story later on in our time. But also, the other guy I just want to acknowledge why we have you here is the guy in the black in the mask, and that's Daniel Congdon. I don't know where we'd be without Daniel as our interim producer these last, these last several months. Literally, the live stream that we have been doing would not be happening without Daniel Congdon having stepped in and helped us produce these last several months. So thank you, Daniel. And no one's happier to see Jacob than Daniel. So we're, we're appreciative of both you guys. So thank you so, so very much. So in this process to find Jacob, we looked at a lot of resumes, including his. And in the many years I've been here now at Grace as your lead pastor, um, I've looked at a lot of resumes through the years as we have looked to um, replace roles on our team or even new roles that we've, we've created. So um, I wouldn't certainly call myself an expert, but I have spent a lot of time looking at resumes. And if you've been there, you, you kind of understand how you kind of cultivate an eye of what to look for and what stands out to you. And even if you never have, probably at some point as you apply for a job, you're going to have to put yourself out there by way of a resume. So we all have a frame of reference for this or have a grid for this. And so with that in mind, I'd like you to look at a resume here this morning with me. And I'm not going to tell you whose this is. And if you've seen this before, because it's been around a while, please don't give it away. Don't tell anybody who this is. But this is a resume, or supposedly a resume. And if this person was looking to join our church family, to join our staff team, would you hire them? Okay? With that in mind, let me, let me read this to you. Gentlemen, understanding that you have a need for leadership, I would like to apply for the position. So let me give you a chance to get to know me a little bit so you can determine my qualifications. I have many qualifications that I think you would appreciate. Here we go. I've been blessed to preach with power and have had some success as a writer. Some say that I am a good organizer. Things are looking good so far. I've been a leader in most places I have gone. Some folks, however, have some things against me. I'm over 50 years of age. Now, I'm over 50 years of What's wrong with that? I have never preached in one place for more than three years at a time. Mm, okay, 
sure there's some explanation there. In some places, I have left town after my work caused riots and disturbances. Okay, that's not so promising. I've had to admit that I've been in jail three or four times, but not because of any wrongdoing. Uh Uh-huh. My health is not too good, though I still get a good deal done. Okay. I've had to work at my trade to help pay my way. Nothing wrong with that. The churches I've preached in have been small, though located in several large cities. Again, that's fine. I have not gotten along too well with the religious leaders in the different towns where I have preached, and I'm sure they will not recommend me. In fact, some of them have threatened me, taken me to court, and even attacked me physically. I am not too good at keeping records, and I've been known even to forget who I've baptized. However, I understand your church needs some leadership, so I'm here to help. Please contact me if you have any further interest. So question number one, would you hire that person? Question number two, if this was this person's resume, and it's a fictitious one, whose resume would it have been? The Apostle Paul. Yeah, a number of you have seen this. But when it comes to a resume, obviously, you want to put your best foot forward. And you are deliberate and intentional about what you put in it and what you don't put in it, right? And this is a pretty, pretty transparent, pretty authentic, pretty representative resume. But as I was thinking about this resume, it really made me think about this passage that we're diving into here as we start the Gospel of Matthew. Now, I know we've been in Matthew for a while, but for our Advent series, we're deliberately jumping back to chapter 1 and chapter 2. Um, we kind of preface this with, Galatians chapter, Galatians, good night, Genesis chapter 315 with Gary Brashears last week. But now we, today we are back to the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, and it starts with a genealogy. And genealogies in the ancient Near East, or at least in ancient times, were like a resume in that your pedigree, your ancestry, who you came from greatly, greatly mattered. And I know that I just lost some of you when I just told you that for the next 20, 25 minutes, we're going to be talking about a genealogy. Boring, right? I mean, you ever taken out a phone book and read it for fun? Right? Some of you are going, what's a phone book? So if you go to a museum and you look where they have a typewriter and they have the first computer and the first cell phone that looked like a brick with an antenna on it, you'll probably find next to it a phone book. And before we had Google and Siri and could ask Alexa and had the internet, you had a phone book. That's how you got information. That's how you looked up where people lived, made phone calls, addresses, found businesses, whatever. No one in their right mind would ever read a phone book for entertainment. No one would. So why in the world would we spend some time on a genealogy? Let me make you a sale. Let's talk about genealogies in particular and then talk about why we need to look at Jesus' genealogy. Um, this is a, a, a section out of one of the commentaries I use quite often that I thought talked about genealogies pretty succinctly and why they were important. They were important in the ancient world and played an especially significant role for the Jews. According to the Old Testament, example, 1 Chronicles 1-9, through 9, God's people kept extensive genealogies, which served as a record of the family's descendants, but were also used for practical and legal purposes to establish a person's heritage, inheritance, legitimacy, rights. Knowledge of one's descent was especially necessary if a dispute occurred to ensure that property went to the right person. So the reason you had a genealogy was it proved you were you. 
That, that's how you validated you were who you said you were and you came from where you said you came from. So it was about heritage. It was used for legal purposes. It proved, again, that you were you. And there were many different kinds, but two of the main kinds were comprehensive and representative. So comprehensive was everybody who preceded you on your father's side of the family. Representative was deliberately chosen as the name says, to represent, but there were some names that would be omitted. And interestingly, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus is a representative geology. There's names that, that are deliberately missing from there. But you were very deliberate about who you put in a genealogy and who you left out and why. And because of the importance of genealogies in the ancient world, a lot of people had theirs memorized. They could go back generation after generation after generation because it mattered. So now let's come to Matthew's genealogy. Why does this matter? Because Matthew is asserting and establishing that Jesus is the king. He is the promised Messiah. And so the lineage, the legal claim that Matthew traces of Jesus to being the Messiah goes all the way through from Joseph all the way back to Abraham. Now, if you are familiar with your Bible, if you've looked at the Gospel of Luke, he has a different genealogy. He actually traces Jesus' lineages through Mary. So what this is going to show us is that Jesus is not the physical son of Joseph, and we'll get to that in just a bit, but he is the legal son and descendant of David. So this genealogy of Matthews is in three sections, 14 generations each. Abraham to David, David to the exile, exile to the Messiah. Now, what you are about to see is a list of names that sound like they're straight out of an episode of The Mandalorian or a Star Wars movie of some kind. I mean, they're, they're pretty, pretty wild names, but they represent real people and, and real lives. And so I'm going to give you your money's worth, and I told the preaching team I wasn't going to do this, and I've since changed my mind. I am going to read this to you. So we're going to have some fun with this, and you can laugh at my pronunciations of some of these names. But this is what I want you to watch for as we do this. Who's in this genealogy? And would you have put them in this genealogy? For those of you who know your Bibles or have some Old Testament frame of reference, this will become real apparent. But again, let's, let's look at this together. So here we go. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of of King David. We just completed the first section. On to the next. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amon. Amon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconai and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Just finished section two, on to the last. 
After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiahud, Abiahud the father of Iliakim, Iliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Ilihud, Ilihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matin, Matin the father of Jacob, and now thankfully it's getting easier, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So for those of you who saw my Facebook sermon preview, when we talked about walking through this here this morning, at first glance, this looks like just a bunch of names and a bunch of honestly kind of irrelevant information about a bunch of people who we may not know much about. But that's just it. We do. We know a lot about these people, and their lives represent real realities that we need to look at here this morning, because this is more than just information. This is actually about life transformation, and if you and I don't walk away from this passage with a greater understanding and appreciation of what it tells us about God and what it tells us about us, then I have failed to do my job here this morning, because this is an amazing amazing passage, and we're going to work our way through it. So here we go. Starts out, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. So several things there. Number one, this word can also be translated Genesis. And what does that make you think of? It makes me think of last week. Because for those of us who saw the the message last week, what did Gary talk about? He took us back to the very beginning, the book of beginnings, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, which is really the first promise we have of a Messiah, this snake crusher who was going to come, right all wrongs, restore things to the way God always intended them to be. And it was the first of a series of promises that were made about this snake crusher, about the Messiah. And so now this pulls in all these things that we looked at last week, that this, the one who would come would be snake crusher, deliverer, priest, king, servant, son of man, all those amazing titles and promises that we saw, it all gets pulled in as we begin this genealogy, and that is by design. And what is so important to understand and appreciate about this is how this starts. This is the genealogy of Jesus. It does not start out somewhere in a galaxy far, far away. And it does not start out once upon a time. This is not about a a fable in a stable. This is history. This is historical fact. These people really did live. These are real people. These are real names. And so, therefore, it's so important that we get our head and our hands and our hearts around that because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is, who he, who, what he's come, what he's, what he's done, what he, that he's going to come back, all those things that are a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You hear us say this every so often, it is not good advice. It is good news. And the difference being advice is something you can take or leave. News is about reality, ideally. It's about something that has happened. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. It is something we have to respond to. It is something that we need to do something with. And so 
now we see the plan of God beginning to unveil in this genealogy. If we're reaching back and pulling in all those promises that Gary Brashears talked about last week, that's pretty remarkable because did you see who was in this list? In, in some ways, who you would expect. I mean, the heavyweights of the Old Testament, of the, the founding of the Jewish, um, the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, And if you were with us when we went through Genesis in detail a couple years ago, do you remember what those guys were like? I mean, tremendous examples of faith and trust and so many wonderful things, but one heck of a lot of brokenness too. What do Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob have in common besides their brokenness? They're all liars. Abraham lied about his wife to save his skin. His son did the same thing to save his skin. And Jacob, it seems like, lied about everything when you start to look at his story, right? And then we have David who's in this list. David, who was a man after God's own heart, but also some incredible brokenness there too. He murdered one of his most loyal, faithful men in order to, to sleep with that man's wife. He was a murderer and an adulterer. And did you see that list of kings? I went back and read up on all those kings in Chronicles and in 1 Kings, because it had been a while since I'd gone back and looked at who they were and what they represented, and almost all of them were profoundly evil. I mean, it's incredible. Rehoboam, he wanted to massacre the tribes that sided with Jeroboam once the kingdom was split because of what Solomon had done, because of Solomon's disobedience. He practiced idolatry, had multiple wives, and then Abijah came along and he committed the same types of sins. His heart wasn't fully God's. Asa came along, brutally oppressed the people. Jehoram came along and he murdered all his brothers to make sure that his throne was secure. He was profoundly evil. That's how scripture describes him. Uzziah put himself in the place of a priest and went in and in his arrogance presumed that he could um, give the offering to God and was struck with leprosy as a result. Ahaz said, hey, let's stop playing games. None of us are worshiping God anyway. He closed the temple and engaged in outright full-scale idolatry. Um, It was incredible. Sacrificed his kids in the fire. Manasseh did the same thing. He's one of the few kings who started out extremely evil and actually repented towards the end of his life. And then finally, you have Amon, who was so profoundly evil, he was assassinated by his own people. And that's who's in Jesus' genealogy. Now back to the resume paradigm. If you were writing your resume and you were representing your ancestry, would you really include people like that? And we begin to think about this from the paradigm of this happened in an honor-shame culture where what, you kept, what, what kept you up at night was the thought that you would say or do anything that would bring shame on yourself, on your family, on your community, on your tribe. You would never put yourself in that kind of a position. And yet, this is Jesus' genealogy. And there's more. Because in this genealogy are five women. 
Now, number one, genealogies were traced through um, the fathers, so there were never women mentioned in genealogies. And in fairness, unfortunately, women were marginalized in that culture. They weren't deemed as important, so that was another reason that happened. So for there to be these women mentioned in Jesus' genealogy is hugely significant. You would never see this, and yet it's so profoundly important and special. We, we know Tamar's story, for those of you who were with us in our Genesis series, in Genesis 38, she's Judah's daughter-in-law, and Judah himself, who was in this list, was a real piece of work at times. And so, because he would not give her, rightfully so, as the law dictated, his next son, so that she could have children and continue the family, she disguised herself as a prostitute, and why in the world was Judah visiting prostitutes? But he did. He ended up sleeping with her, her father-in-law, yuck, right? But that's one of the descendants who's mentioned here in this genealogy. And then we go to Ruth, and Ruth was, oh, excuse me, Rahab. Rahab was incredibly courageous, what an incredible example of faith, and yet she was also a prostitute, and she was a foreigner. She was a Gentile. She was a non-Jew, and here she is in this Jewish genealogy. And then there's Ruth, another tremendous example of faith. She was a Moabitess. They were a... A, um, a people group that were conceived started through incest, and they were enemies of Israel, ancient, long, bitter enemies of Israel, and yet she's mentioned in this, in this genealogy, and then there's Bathsheba, and actually this is more of an indictment on David than it is Bathsheba, but she's not even named. How was she mentioned? Uriah's wife, because David had him murdered and then slept with her and committed royal rape. She was a royal rape survivor. I mean, you just look at all this brokenness, and then Mary, and we'll get to more of Mary's story next week, but it's unbelievable. It's, you have all these quote-unquote outsiders in that culture. They're gender outsiders. They're racial outsiders. They are moral outsiders. They are cultural outsiders. You have an adulterer. You have an adulteress. You have incest. You have all sorts of brokenness in this genealogy, and yet they all make it in. Why is that? Could it be because on display in this genealogy is the grace of God? In the midst of all this brokenness, despite all that these broken people did, God moves through them to accomplish his plan and his purposes. And just so we're on the same page, the grace of God, God's unmerited, unearned, freely given love for the sake of right relationship with with him and others, and empowerment to serve him and others. Do you need that? Do you need God's grace? Well, let's think about your ancestry. Let's think about mine. For me, I'm, I'm thinking about my, a lot about my dad these days because it's Christmas, and he passed away last year. This is the first Christmas without him, and I know there are a number of you. It's, it's your first without someone you love, or your second, or your third, or this ongoing pain of loss that you have each season, and for me especially at Christmas. And my dad was, my dad was a, a great man, but he was also a broken man. But, you know, I think about my dad and um, just some, some amazing things that he accomplished with his life. He was a construction superintendent for a company here in town. And so literally 
when I drive all over town, I see these landmarks that are still a testament to his faithfulness and his hard work, and they were jobs that he oversaw. Officers Row in Vancouver was his job. Um, the Paramount remodel was his job. The Governor Hotel remodel was his job. The Montgomery Park remodel was his job. There's just all these, these major entities in our community. I look at them, and I, I think of my dad. But there is brokenness in my dad. And you don't have to go very far back in our family heritage to see brokenness in our ancestry. Addictions like gambling addictions, pornography addictions, sexual abuse, um, greed, materialism, deceit. I mean, they just go on down the list. My, my story is in need of grace because I'm in need of grace. Because we have this this thinking that we can default back to that apart from Jesus, yeah, we're doing, we're doing okay. I'm a good person. And you know, that's, that's what we hear often in our culture. I'm a, I'm a good person, which another way of saying my resume is pretty good. At the end of the day, it's better than yours. So it's pretty good. I'm a good person. But my resume apart from Christ isn't so good. And I'm reminded of that. Sometimes, unfortunately, on a daily basis. You see, Jamie and I are having a discussion earlier this week, and it's about something that she wanted to talk about. And she brought it up appropriately, and, um, and I got really defensive and angry. And very quickly, it moved from being something she wanted to talk about to being all about me and how I responded and how I was defensive and how I heard what she said as criticism when it wasn't. It was just something to be talked about. And I get those reminders often. I am a man in desperate need of God's grace. And I think that's one of the life-changing realities we get from this genealogy is what do we have in common with all those people? The grace of God. All of us desperately need the grace of God. And one of the amazing things about this genealogy is the faithfulness of God. Despite these broken decisions, despite these broken circumstances, despite sometimes the incredibly awful, evil choices that are made, God still manages to work his plan, to get his way, to make things happen, ultimately the way he wants them to turn out. There's tremendous comfort in that. And there's something really incredible with how this is written. I mean, we see God's faithfulness here where it says Mary was the mother of Jesus and it's really easy to read past that and understandably so but if you go back to the original language this is known as a divine passive and what that means is that this is written very deliberately in such a way that it's saying yeah Joseph wasn't Jesus's physical father. God himself through the Holy Spirit was the one who was Jesus's biological father. And what this is, is once again, the incredible power of God on display. God's incredible power to get what he wants done. And we have an amazing story that we'll look at in in Mary and Joseph. We'll look at more of their story next week. But my friends, when you begin to put all this together, until you and I own our need for the grace of God, we will not experience the power of God in our lives. That's really the bottom line. The point isn't having a good resume. The point is we have a good God who wants to enter into our brokenness 
and transform us from the inside out into the people he wants us to be. So I'm going to invite our worship team to, to come forward here. And the amazing thing is that when you, when you realize your need for the grace of God, when you experience the power of God, then you find strength in the midst of your weakness. You know, one of the things I so appreciated about Jacob when he began his first day with us here this last Monday and his first, his first responsibility was to come to preaching team and we spent some time getting to know him because there's some, some folks there who hadn't had a chance to get to know him and he's telling us more of his story. And I don't want to give too much away because it's my hope at some point that you'll get to hear him tell his story in greater detail. But one of the things he shared was he came to a point in his life not many years ago when he realized he was truly broken. And the point wasn't to try harder or to be better or to, or, or to be a better person. The point was to recognize his need for God's grace. And one of the things he shared with us was in his life, at that point, he had some addiction to some substances, some substance abuse going on in his life, and God freed him from that at the point that he gave his life to him. Now, that's not everyone's journey, but, but it was his And it was at that point when he realized his need for Christ, when his need for God's grace, that he experienced the power of God. And the same is true for you and me. You see, you don't need a better resume. I don't need a better resume. I need to be rescued from the brokenness of my life. And the point isn't my pedigree and my resume. The point is his Because this amazing thing happens through the death, burial, and resurrection of of Jesus Christ. And that is, there's an exchange that takes place. He takes my brokenness, and in its place, he gives me his power for right living. He gives me his righteousness. And I don't completely understand how all that works. I just know it worked. I just know I'm a different person because of the grace of God in my life. You see, it says this in Colossians in the New Testament, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so I'm gonna ask you to take your communion elements that you have and go ahead and open those up now as we prepare to remember what he's done for each each one of us. And I know these are a little tricky to open up without spilling it all over yourself. So I'll give you a little time to navigate that. And as you do so, as we prepare to take communion, I want to take us to a passage that we don't normally look at for communion. But it's an incredibly powerful passage. And Jesus is talking to some religious leaders and the people in the Gospel of John. And he's trying to help them understand this reality of God's grace And that it's not about their resume. It's about his and about what Jesus has done on our behalf and receiving and responding to that and making that our own by entering into relationship with him. And he says this. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. And I understand I'm not giving you the full context there, but Jesus is not talking about cannibalism, okay? He's talking about communion. And he's talking about the spiritual reality that when we receive him into our lives, he literally comes into our lives. 
the Bible, Christianity, is the only religion, the only worldview that teaches you don't go looking for God. That's religion. God has come looking for us. That's the gospel. And the promise of Christianity is that God comes looking for us and he offers us his grace freely. We just have to choose to receive it and respond to it. So this morning, my friends, since I know most of your stories, I know that most of you know the Lord. Most of you have experienced his grace in your lives. But what I would ask you is for today, how do you need his grace today? Where are you weak where you want to be strong? What do you need to be empowered to do that you know the Lord's asking you to do that you don't want to do, you don't feel like doing, you're not sure you can do? And if there is someone here who I don't know, and there's some of you who have never responded to the grace of God by inviting him into your life, this is your opportunity to do so because this only has meaning if you know him, if he's your God, if you've asked him to come into your life. And that's a very simple thing to do. It's not an incantation. There aren't specific words you have to say. You just have to mean it. You just have to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And it can be just as simple as those words. But my friends, this bread represents his body, this wafer. And the sacrifice he made for each one of us as an act of grace. So would you remember with me what what he's done for us? And this juice represents his blood, that he died on a cross for our brokenness, for our sins, to remove that from us and in its place give us his righteousness, his power for right living through his grace. So let's remember this together as well. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that this genealogy isn't just a list of names and information. It tells us your story. It tells us about you. It reminds us of your plan, your grace, your power, your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you give us something we don't deserve, but you lavish it upon us, and that's your love, that's your grace, that's your presence. I thank you for each person here. And would you continue to remind us not only of our need for you, but of your presence in our lives. And Lord, if there's someone among us here who has given their heart to you for the first time, Lord, I pray that they would have an absolute assurance you're now with them. And we worship you now. We sing to you because you are the one true God and you are the only one worthy of our worship. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Yeah, there's nothing better than knowing him. There really isn't. He truly is the source of joy and the source of life. We are so glad that you've chosen to spend some of the morning with us. We've been so looking forward to being back together again. Come back. Come back again. Come back next Sunday. Yeah. And I'd love to leave you um, with really, um, it's not really a benediction, but it is because it just captures so much of what we've talked about here. This is out of First Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. It says this, Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, 
the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That is the God we know and love and worship and celebrate. So let me pray his blessing over you as we prepare to go. God, thank you for this sweet time of worship. It is so rich to be in the same place at the same time together, hearing one another's voices as we worship you, seeking you together. Lord, thank you that you have created us for community. And thank you that we have each other. And Lord, thank you that COVID and crisis and elections and everything else cannot stop the advance of your kingdom. It does not stop your good news. It does not stop the work of the Holy Spirit. It does not stop the reality that we all celebrate, and that is you have come for us, and you will come back again. And we look forward to that day. But until that day comes, we worship you and follow you as the immortal, invisible, only true God who loves us and is with us through Jesus. And we're so grateful for that. We pray this in your name. And God's people said, amen. So great to have you here. We love you. And we hope to get to have you back next week. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.